Deadbeat Scroll by Mark Coggins is slick, sardonic, and suspenseful. Everything a great thriller should be, says New York Times bestselling author Lee Child. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 3. Sugar Baby It's hard to be relentless when you are hungover. As much as my heart wanted to jump immediately into the search for Chris's killer, my splitting head and the rest of my sleep-deprived body were more interested in getting horizontal. I went back to the postry department, washed down four aspirin with some oxygenated alkaline water I found in Chris's refrigerator, and crashed on the couch. It was 3.30 when I woke up. My head still throbbed, and my mouth had taken on the piquant flavor of penny loafers worn without socks, but at least I felt strong enough to re-engage with the world. I tormented the shower fixture into producing some hot water and used Chris's equally complicated electric toothbrush, with a new brush head I found under the sink, to eliminate most of the taste of worn loafer. I changed into the last clean-shirted underwear I had brought from Palm Springs and threw on my suit. St. George was ready to do battle, but where was a dragon? The only real leads I had were Ivy, the UC Berkeley co-ed, and her would-be sugar daddy, a guy named Nate Schlein. I paged through the file Gretchen had given me until I found Ivy's number. My call immediately went to voicemail. I left a long, carefully worded message that I re-recorded several times to get just the right tone of urgency without mentioning Chris's murder and hung up. I was paging through the file again to find the contact information for Schlein when my phone buzzed with a text message. It was from Ivy's number. Who are you? She texted. I was all thumbs, or no thumbs when it came to texting, but there didn't seem to be any way to avoid it. August Reardon, I texted. I left a voicemail to explain why I'm calling. This led to an exchange with much backspacing and cursing on my part, and judging from the speed of her responses, no effort at all on hers. Ivy. No one uses voicemail. Is this Nate? How did you get this number? Reardon. No, it's August Reardon. I'm from Duckworth Investigative Solutions. We need to talk about your case. Ivy. B-I-O-Y-A. You're Nate. Reardon. B-I-O-Y-A? What? Ivy. Blow it out your ass, O-M. Reardon. Look, I'm not Nate. I'm really from Duckworth Investigative Solutions. O-M? Ivy. Old man. Prove it. Reardon. You work with Chris Duckworth. He identified Nate's line through an image search. Ivy. Could be. Reardon. If Schlein is still bothering you, we definitely need to talk. My voicemail has more. Ivy. Hmm. Why didn't Chris call? Reardon. He only does computer investigations. I do the other stuff. Ivy. If you are trying to get me to pay more, forget it.
Reardon. No, no charge. Ivy. K. L-M-I-R-L. Can you come to Berkeley? Reardon. Yes. Where and when? L-M-I-R-L? Ivy. Let's meet in real life. You really are an O-M. Starbucks on Oxford at 5.30. Reardon. Okay, I'll be there. Ivy. S-U-S. Oxford Street was the western border of the UC campus. The Starbucks was probably across the street from one of the entrances. I wasn't entirely sure Ivy intended to meet me, but I knew I wasn't going to get any further with texting or calling. Worst case, I figured I could stake out the Berkeley address in her file if she stood me up. Driving to Berkeley was out of the question. I had left my car in Palm Springs, and creeping across the Bay Bridge in a taxi would cost a bundle in heavy traffic. I hoofed it down to the Pal Street BART station and caught a ride on a train heading under the bay via the Transbay Tube. There's a 1972 newspaper photo of Pat and Richard Nixon riding BART just after the system opened. Back then, the subway was shiny and futuristic, and Nixon was so impressed that he compared the BART control room to NASA's mission control. Now, the cars looked like an abandoned Disney attraction from Tomorrowland, I sat on a seat with the same snot-green upholstery Pat and Dick had admired in 1972, sandwiched between a dozing homeless man and a hipster standing in the aisle with a folded electric scooter. The scooter dude mistook my desire to avoid being impaled by the scooter's handles with a genuine interest in his toy. Kickstarter project, he said. Goes 30 miles on a charge. That's nice. I pointed down the aisle. Can it go two feet that way and get the hell out of my face? He grumbled something and moved away. I got off the train at the downtown Berkeley station and rode the escalator to a street-level entrance that looked like a gigantic slinky, frozen in mid-slink. Topside, it was hard to forget you were in a college town. Millennials in hoodies with book bags were everywhere, as were canvassers for the environment LGBTQ rights, marijuana laws, and an old guy balanced precariously on a bucket yelling, happy, 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 while holding a poster with tiny print that said something about American imperialism. I went up Center Street towards Oxford and quickly located the Starbucks on the corner. I was running about 10 minutes late and was worried that Ivy had bailed when she hadn't found me, if she had even shown up in the first place. Stepping through the door didn't make me worry any less. It was wall-to-wall millennials with their shiny aluminum laptops open. I stood self-consciously by the door, trying to make eye contact with young women less than half my age, who were not the least bit interested in having contact made. Finally, I heard a half-chortle by my left elbow. I twisted to find an Asian girl with shoulder-length black hair in a 1960s flip, sitting at a two-spot table. You're not going to find any sugar babies dressed like that, she said and laughed. I pulled out the chair across from her and sat down. I thought the wallet was more important than the wardrobe. She took a sip from her orange juice and tilted her head back to look at me through her lashes. Well, as my econ professor says, for some markets there are table stakes. Nice clothes are table stakes for sugar daddies. I lifted the lapels of my jacket. It's a suit. How much nicer do you want?
She shifted her legs to one side, and I saw that she was wearing some sort of workout skirt made of synthetic material. Sneakers and a nylon bomber jacket completed her ensemble. It dawned on me then that she wasn't what I was expecting. She was clearly smarter than a wannabe Mrs. Donald Trump, and even with all the talk about clothes, she wasn't obsessed about her appearance. You really want to know? she asked. Sure. It's both too nice and not nice enough. It's too nice in the sense that it's almost an anachronism. No one wears suits these days except investment bankers. And what makes you an expert on investment bankers? I interned at Goldman Sachs in Hong Kong last summer, and I haven't offered to join the firm after graduation. I saw plenty of suits there. Where I don't see them is in the Bay Area. Okay. And I don't intend to be mean, but your suit needs updating. It's cheaply made, it's way out of style, and it doesn't even fit you. It's much too tight across the shoulders. I felt the heat rising in my cheeks. It's hard to be lectured about your clothes by someone who is younger than you are. You make some good points, I managed to concede. She tilted her head back again and gave me a playful look. You did ask. I did. I surely did. I find Americans, at least ones my age, are too sensitive. They are used to praise and affirmation, and when they get honest criticism, they are quick to take offense. And you are from... China, Hong Kong. And your parents raised you differently? Definitely. I have a tiger mom. She emphasized the word tiger with a mock pounding of her fist on the table. Just today, she told me I was getting too fat. I see. How would your tiger mom feel if she knew you had enrolled in a sugar daddy site? How do you know I didn't already tell her? Did you? No. But if I found a boyfriend through the site, she would be happy to hear it. Not having one is another thing she criticizes me for. Wait a minute. You were using the site to find dates? I thought you were trying to find an arrangement to make money. I don't need money. My parents are well off, and I got a good offer from Goldman. But most of the men on the site are already married, and they're much older. Why not date someone from school? Or use one of those apps I keep reading about. She looked down at her orange juice and took a tentative sip. When she looked up, she said, Did you have trouble finding me here? Well, sure. I didn't know what you looked like, and there are a lot of girls. That's right. There are a lot of girls in college now. More girls than boys. And at Berkeley, there are a lot of Asian girls. It's hard to find a boyfriend. I signed up on Looking for Daddy to find someone nice to be with. I knew I was going back to Hong Kong at the end of the year, so I didn't expect to get married. I just wanted a short-term relationship. Yes, a short-term relationship. She nodded cheerfully as if I'd helped her come up with a word for a crossword puzzle, but there was a sadness behind her eyes. I softened my tone. So you hired us to help you make sure the person you found was nice? Yes. You can tell right away that most of the daddies are assholes. Nate's profile seemed nicer, but I didn't want to get too involved until I knew more about him. Once a daddy begins spending money on you, they have pretty definite expectations. I can imagine. A barista shouted an order behind me while another pounded a filter holder to clear it of coffee grinds. 
Ivy glanced over my shoulder, then back at me. I called your office, she said abruptly. You did? To make sure you really were who you said you were. I understand. I spoke to Gretchen. She explained that you were the one who started the business. But even after talking to her and listening to your voicemail, I still don't see why you want to talk. Has Nate done something? I chewed my lower lip. I didn't want to lie to the girl, but I didn't want to explain what happened to Chris until I heard an unbiased version of her story. Humor me for a minute, will you? Let me ask you a few more questions, and then I'll give you the full background. Okay? She nodded. Nate seemed nice, I said, but you wanted more information. So you hired us to find out more about him. We discovered his full name and a few other details and passed on the information. What happened then? I googled him, of course. He has an MBA from Stanford, a wife, two sons, and is CEO of a startup in San Francisco. The bio on his company website mentioned that he was a varsity swimmer in college and that he could do 60 push-ups in one minute. I bet he dressed well, too. She slid me a grin. Oh, yes, the standard daddy uniform. Gray wool dress pants with a crisp pastel dress shirt, sleeves carefully rolled to three-quarters length, sport coat, and Rolex optional. I'll note that for future reference. Did you bite? Bite? Did you decide to see him? Yes, we met for dinner at the Tonga Room at the Fairmont Hotel. I guess he thought I would like it since I'm Asian. It seemed to go well at first. He looked like his pictures, and he could carry on a conversation, although he talked mostly about himself. He told me about his company and his plan to climb Everest next year. He showed me a video of his 60 push-ups, which sounds bad, but he made a joke about it. I laughed. Eventually, he mentioned he had a condo I could live in. I said I wasn't ready to discuss arrangements yet, but I don't think he realized I wasn't interested in the condo at all. He thought I was negotiating for something better. He still saw it as a transaction. Yes, I guess I can't blame him. I found it hard to talk about what I really wanted. After dinner, he told me he'd gotten a room at the hotel, and would I like to go upstairs and have a little champagne? Wait, are you even old enough to drink? Sure, I'm 22. I guess the drinking's not the point. Should I ask what happened next? She shifted in her chair and brought her hands down into her lap. I was hesitant at first, but he promised no pressure for anything else. To tell the truth, I was enjoying the attention, and while he isn't that attractive, he is athletic. I was maybe even looking forward to the something else. Anyway, we went to the room and had some champagne. We started kissing, and it was nice. She looked away and lowered her voice. But then he unzipped his pants and pushed my head into his crotch. He forced me to give him oral sex. I wasn't surprised, but I was angry. Privileged little shit, I said louder than I intended. I'm sorry, Ivy. She pressed her lips together in a thin, bloodless line. It was my own fault, she nearly whispered. I was stupid. She did seem a curious mixture of worldliness and naivete, but I felt guilt by association because of my sex. The fact that we had been joking earlier about what it took to be a daddy somehow made it worse. You know it's not your fault. What he did was a crime, plain and simple. Did you report it to the police? 
How could I, given the circumstances? I don't think he even understood I was upset. Later, when I didn't return his texts and emails, he knew something was wrong, but he still thought it was a negotiating ploy. Did he try to see you? Come to your home? He couldn't. I never actually told him my real name or where I lived. Even the phone I used to talk to him was a cheap prepaid. He didn't have my regular number. Did you happen to tell Chris what happened? She frowned. Why don't you ask him? Humor me a little longer. I'll explain in a moment. I mentioned it to Chris. We met to discuss the results of the investigation. We got to talking about fashion, and we became Snapchat friends. He also told me about Marlo Thomas. Marlo Thomas? That girl. He sent me a picture of her hairdo from the TV show and said it would be perfect for me. She held her hand up to her hair. He's right. It suits you perfectly. What did Chris say when you told him? Was he going to talk to Sline? No. I made him promise not to. A beat went by. Something's happened to Chris, hasn't it? I nodded slowly. He was killed. You think Nate was involved? I don't know, but based on what you told me, I'm going to see him. She drew herself up in her chair. The flirty, jovial girl I met a few minutes ago was gone. You know what my tiger mom would say? What? Castrate him. Castrate him if he's guilty. You have been listening to The Deadbeat Scroll, a book the New York Journal of Books described as a glorious potpourri of violence, black humor, sex, and a hunt for a lost manuscript. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. <laughs>